0: Welcome to the University of California San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Nero Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nero Fundia, Dr. Drew Lansdowne, and Dr. Brian Feely. Um, today, we're going to uh, take a turn to some basic pathologies that you'll see uh, in a sports medicine practice, particularly the meniscus. Um, So with that, we'll go ahead and start with uh, Brian talking a little bit about uh, a common player who has um, seen this happen before.
1: Yeah, so I thought Russell Westbrook would be a great um, person to pivot around for this discussion. Um, So for those of you that don't remember, Russell Westbrook was an outstanding player at UCLA and then got into the league um, in the early um, 2010s. And in 2013, in the playoffs in the first round, he runs into Patrick Beverly who um, I always thought was a little bit of an aggressive defensive player. Um, but anyway, so April 2013, he runs into Patrick Beverly, gets a lateral meniscus tear, and undergoes a lateral meniscus repair. And at the time of the injury, they said initially, well, if they continue going in the playoffs, he may be back. But then um, once he had surgery, they said, well, he's out for the rest of the season regardless. So he makes it back um, for October in 2013, And then as he starts the season, they say he has a loose stitch, has another quick surgery and is back surprisingly in a couple weeks. And then in December of 2013, he has a third surgery on what is assumed to be the same knee where he has pain and swelling and then has a meniscus surgery and is back again relatively quickly. Then in 2018, he has another surgery on his knee where he would potentially potentially miss the entire um, preseason, but then was back and playing relatively normally. And I think it's an interesting uh, sequelae because it's often what we see with our regular patients, not just in our uh, high-level athletes. So, Drew, um, can you run us through that history and why the recovery seemed different, and how that relates to meniscus pathology in general?
2: Yeah, definitely. And um, I think you know when we talk about meniscus surgery, there's just um, there's different. Th- types of injuries and different types of surgery that we can do. Uh, and they can range from you know really small little injuries that uh, may just recover on their own uh, to much uh, more involved, larger injuries. And, um, and you know, when we're looking at this surgically, um, we can either just trim out a piece of the meniscus, uh, like a meniscus debridement or a cleanup uh, or a partial meniscectomy. Those are all kind of the same terms for that. Uh, Or we can stitch it back together, a meniscus repair. And, um, you know, our goal is usually to repair the meniscus. It's a good thing to have the meniscus in the knee. It helps protect the cartilage. Um, But there are times where it's just not going to heal. Like the blood supply isn't very good. It can be, uh, the tissue can be pretty beat up. um, And you can put as many stitches as you want in it. But there are times where um, now you've just got to tear with a bunch of stitches and not um, like a healed structure again. And so in those cases, we just trim out the piece. Um, and it's almost, um, you know, there are, there are times where it's kind of like a little hangnail where um, you just need to cut that piece off and um, doesn't really change the function of the knee. So that's where, um, you know, these players could get back pretty quickly where you just um, trim out a little part of the meniscus. Um, and that's kind of, you know, usually in the four to six week range. Um, and then when you're repairing it, um, you've got to protect the knee, let the meniscus heal. Um, it's a pretty sensitive structure, so it doesn't heal very quickly. Uh, takes some time, and um, and then, you know, for those bigger tears, we get pretty protective about uh, limiting activity and making sure that it does heal, so that people get back to you know everything they want to do. Um, and uh, maybe Nirav, um why? Can you talk through a bit why the meniscus gets injured? Um, and what happens to it.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's really important because there's so many different structures in the knee and, and the meniscus is mainly the shock absorber in the knee. It allows you to kind of jump and, and run and not have pain. It also does give some stability to the knee as well too. So any kind of athletic activity that you're doing, the meniscus is going to take the brunt of that. Um, and I think that over time, particularly as we get to older athletes, the, the meniscus is going to kind of almost like a, a, a tire. It's going to have a lot of mileage built up on it. It's going to start uh tearing so for anyone who's active or even from day-to-day life the meniscus is is kind of be the the point of it's basically a sign of physical activity and it's going to start getting injured over time and because it doesn't naturally heal on its own um when you get in your 30s and 40s and 50s where all of us are going to have small meniscus tears the real question is is it's giving us difficulty and is it giving us symptoms so um i think it's a structure we, we see commonly injured it's the most common surgery that i do even in kids who are super active and i'm sure for for both of you you see a lot of meniscus tears as well too
1: Yeah, Drew, I think you bring up a good point that it depends on how much is injured. And oftentimes you can have a small meniscus tear. And for most of us, it's probably totally okay to be walking around with a small meniscus tear. And there was a study a couple of years ago that Matt Proventure who works out in Colorado did. And he looked at the NFL combine players. And what they found was that if they had what was estimated as more than 10% of a meniscus tear removed, Um, or more than 10% of the entire meniscus removed, the actual level of play um, moving forward decreased compared to those patients who didn't have any meniscus injury. So you can have these small tears and still do really well. So if you look back at what happened with Russell Westbrook, probably what happened is his first surgery was a meniscus repair. And we know that because um, he was out for the rest of the season, um, recovered. And then he, in tw- in October, he had a loose stitch. So obviously they tried to repair something. A little part of it probably didn't heal. Um, so when they took the loose stitch out, he continued to have symptoms. And that's why in December, th- 2013, they went and cleaned up a little bit of the meniscus. And I think probably the reason why he did so well, obviously he's been a um, future Hall of Fame level player, is that he still has a vast majority of his meniscus. And you compare that to somebody like Brandon Roy, who had multiple knee surgeries early on in his career, had had meniscus surgery and then had cartilage loss or the smooth surface at the end of the bone um, had started to wear down. And you take somebody who like Brandon Roy who Potentially was at the same level as Westbrook, and then he's got a totally tra- different career trajectory, largely based on those initial knee injuries that he had.
0: Maybe, uh, Brian, one question for you because you know, in my practice, I see a lot of lateral meniscus tears. It's more common in, in kids, and, and then you know, in the adult population, is there a little bit of a different distribution? I think um, of tears that you see.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think for the most part, when we look at the high-level athletes, meniscus tears, even in um, NFL players that present at the combine, lateral meniscus tears are more common. But the way our knees are shaped and the way we load our knees over the course of decades, medial meniscus tears are considerably more common, probably about 70% of the tears. And I think one thing that patients don't always understand is that most of the time, like Drew said, these tears are degenerative by nature. So there's probably slowly happening where the tissue quality is getting a little bit worse over the course of years and years and years. And then over you have a relatively small, um, you have a relatively small movement like you twist awkwardly or you get into a deep squat position and come up, or you're doing yoga and you twist. And then that degenerative tissue that 10 years prior could handle that load all of a sudden tears and you get symptoms.
0: You know, Drew, one of the things we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, particularly now with NBA players coming back, we also saw in the NFL season a lot is a lot of ACL tears. And a lot of times you'll hear these reports that the surgeon said everything else was clean or there wasn't any additional damage. Um, What kind of things are they they talking about in terms of additional damage? And and I'm assuming this is probably meniscus, but why is it important that there is or is not a meniscus tear with a lot of these athletes?
2: Yeah, and with ACL tears, the meniscus can be torn also. Um, like when you tear the ACL, the knee shifts and that can um, often lead to tear of the lateral meniscus. And then if the ACL has been torn for a while, you start to get medial meniscus tears as well. Um, and then, you know, whenever, um, you know, the like in the football player, basketball player that, um, you know, we say, oh, it's just an isolated ACL. Like there's also concern for the other ligaments, the MCL, the LCL, all the other ligaments of the knee um, and any additional structure that's injured, it just makes that recovery more challenging. And um, you know, luckily for us, whenever um, patients um, tear their ACLs, usually the meniscus um, heals at a higher rate whenever we fix it. Um, so uh, it you know kind of changes the the early recovery a bit. Um, it's a bit more damage to the knee, uh, but um, you know, usually like to think that it's something that we can treat pretty effectively as well. Uh, at the time that we're um, you know, reconstructing the ACL. Um, and um, you know, I think that you know, when they're either getting back to surgery or back to um, sports as well, um, you know, would expect most of them to um, recover to that same function as just the, um, uh, the isolated the ACL. Brian, what do you tell your patients um, with that combined ACL and meniscus tear injury?
1: Yeah, I think the data is pretty convincing that when you have more than one thing injured, an isolated ACL injury is a different injury pattern compared to uh, ACL plus anything else. So I tell patients, first of all, it may not take any additional time to recover, but with a combined ACL and meniscus injury, you have, the injury severity that you had was considerably more, especially if you had two meniscus tears. And there's good literature from um, elite athletes in the college and professional level, both for basketball, NBA, as well as for soccer players, that once you have that additional level of injury, so once you have that um, medial and lateral meniscus tear, your likelihood of returning to the same level of play and your career longevity is a little bit lower. That probably doesn't really matter for most of us that are playing basketball once or twice a week, but for a high level athlete or for a high school athlete that's considering whether or not they may be able to play at the next level, I do bring it up with them.
0: One question, uh, Brian and Drew, for you. We hear a lot about These meniscus root tears, you know, like sometimes people come in and say their root is torn. Is that different than a, you know, a a regular meniscus tear? We don't see it as much in the the young population, but in the older population, is that, you know, a little bit different outcome, different surgery?
2: Yeah, um, and what we're talking about with the root is where the meniscus attaches to bone, Um, and um, they kind of think of it like um, a like a trampoline. Like whenever you push down on the meniscus, it's supposed to push back. And then um, with the root it's almost like you've uh, detached you know a third of those rings and so you can push on it but it's not going to push back so it's not going to protect the cartilage at all so once that root is torn off it's basically like you've disconnected the whole thing and it just doesn't work and um, so it's really important that we fix that and um, it um, you know it's something that technically it's a little different for us to fix but still is uh, something that we can you know put back together and. Um, it's one that we get pretty concerned about because if it doesn't heal, then um, it's like you don't have any meniscus. So we're talking about you know if you miss a little bit of it, you can do okay, but um, you know that's basically like having no meniscus at all, which we know is not a good thing. Um, and then um, Brian, what what kind of options are there when people don't have a meniscus at all? Like if they've gone through these surgeries, and um, you know usually it's four or five times, you have a good Portion of it taken out, or it's just not working at all. What do we, what do we see in those people?
1: Um, I'm actually going to back up and add on to your root um, thing, and then and then we can transition to that. Um, I just wanted to add on to the the, the stuff that uh, Drew's talking about with root tears. I think it's important to recognize that with root tears, they don't they don't present like t- typical meniscus injuries. Typically, patients with meniscus tears will have um, a little bit of joint line pain often not that much swelling. Um, with a root tear, it often almost sounds like an ACL tear in your in your lower-demand uh, athletes. Until so, about 2008 to 2010, we never diagnosed these. And certainly when I trained, we never did meniscus root repairs. I did, um, I did my fellowship at a high-volume meniscus surgery center, and we never even talked about root tears. And the fact that we got better with MRI and then we did really good biomechanics studies in the early 2010s um, has really changed how we manage them. Now, you you asked, what do we do when we um, don't have any meniscus to work with? And unfortunately, this happens, especially with our younger athletes that have ACL tear, meniscus tear, the, the knee isn't perfectly stable, so you put more force on the ACL and you start wearing it out. Um, in the best of circumstances, obviously, that never happens. But we have more and more data that we can actually do a meniscus transplant and take a meniscus from a cadaver or somebody who has passed away and transplant or put that into your knee. I think that's a really good technology. It's a technically demanding surgery, which is why I try to um, get Drew to do most of mine. Um, But the nice thing about it is, unlike a heart or lung transplant, it is essentially a scaffold for your own cells to grow into. So you don't need to be on chronic immunosuppression. You don't need to be on medicines for the rest of your life. You essentially get a new meniscus. And for the most part, people can get back to their previous level of activity. About 75% of people can get back to their prior level of activity if they meet the right criteria to be a, quote unquote, good patient for a meniscus transplant going in. Um, so I wanted to transition to a different class of meniscus tears and talk about what happens with the knee and with the meniscus in older patients. So Nirav unfortunately only sees patients up to the age 18 so he doesn't deal with this, but this is the most common knee injury that we see. So Drew, how do you counsel patients who are over the age of 50 and who have developed a meniscus tear or have early arthritis and have a meniscus tear on their MRI? Yeah, and these are, you know,
2: definitely challenging ones. And um, there's so many like different types of meniscus tears, types of injury patterns. And um, so it's kind of a different discussion with all of them, but um, a lot of them, um, like a lot of the meniscus tears are just, I think on the spectrum of arthritis, uh, like it's the knee breaking down, the degenerative changes, adding up kind of like we've been talking about. And um, then you get an MRI, like have, maybe have a new event where it just, um, accelerates that degeneration or have a tear on top of what's already been going on. Um, and you know what we know, there's a few really good studies where um, people have looked at physical therapy um, versus treating these surg- surgically right away um, and have shown that um, the a good physical therapy program, maybe a knee injection, um, can usually get the same result. Um, and people have even done um, sham surgery where they'll make little incisions, not do anything to the meniscus and follow those patients, obviously with their permission and um, end up with the, um, you know, the same result as that physical therapy program. And so I think, you know, for most of them, um, the right approach is to uh, try something like a PT program, like um, some oral medications or an injection. Um, and then, um, you know, if those aren't working, then uh, might be something that we uh, treat surgically. But, you um, Brian, which kinds of um, tears do you think uh, maybe a different approach is warranted?
1: Obviously, I think uh, for, like we talked about, patients with root tears, I'm pretty aggressive about fixing them. So, unless they have advanced arthritis, if even if they're in their 70s, if they're active and they have a root tear, I will try to fix it. Um, I think the upside is a root repair is a joint preserving procedure, but most other tears in patients over the age of 50 to 55 I will do a debridement because I think the outcomes are totally acceptable. Um, One thing that you brought up was doing physical therapy and I always am a little bit embarrassed to admit to patients that I don't know how physical therapy works for people with meniscus tears. It probably helps give the patient time. It helps probably get the joint to calm down and maybe change motion patterns a little bit around the knee. But the nice thing is that study after study has shown that physical therapy for patients with degenerative meniscus tears actually works really, really well. And I think the most important study was done and published in 2015, 2016 in the New England Journal that showed that even if you try physical therapy and you don't get better, your overall long-term outcome, even as quickly as six months after your treatment trial, you get back to where you wanna be with surgery. So especially with a degenerative meniscus tear, there really is no downside for these older patients to try non-operative management first.
0: One question I get a lot asked from the parents of the patients that I see is, you know, they're active, they do a lot of running or a lot of physical activity. You know, when you get in your 30s, 40s, 50s, do you find that you're increasing your risk of having these degenerative meniscus tears if you are a runner or you're, you're doing a lot of impact activity or, or does it seem to be more protective for the knee?
1: I don't know. Um, I think there's probably something to do with your overall alignment, your kinematics. Uh, we have probably millions of runners that go through their entire life without getting a meniscus tear and then there are people that have bilateral root tears at age 45. So I don't, I think that's a great question that we haven't answered for a lot of body parts, how much activity is acceptable and does overuse lead to um, injuries that are more than muscle strains and needing time to recover.
0: Do you let your patients after debridement, Drew and Brian, who are older, go back to, to running and, and cycling and doing activities like that?
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll tell them, uh, especially after debridement, sometimes they feel really good early on, and I, I kind of worry about them overloading the joint right after surgery. But, uh, you know, as long as we're increasing strength progressively and um, progressively returning back and then usually not doing any kind of impact activity for, you know, a month, month and a half, um, and... Um, and then I think the biggest thing to watch for is um, like swelling in the joint because um, that's kind of a tip off that it's not tolerating the um, you know the load that you're putting on it.
1: I know Drew will say hundred percent it's okay to Peloton at any time after surgery. <laughs> Absolutely, but I agree. Um, I think four weeks I'll let patients start. Um, Walking around uh, without any restrictions. And then at six weeks, I'll let them start jogging if they were joggers before. And as long as you watch out for swelling, I think you're totally safe.
0: What are some of the new things that we, you know, kind of for our patients looking forward in the next, you know, three to five years in terms of meniscus surgery? New techniques, biologics.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question. Meniscus surgery hasn't really changed that much in the last, I'd say, five to ten years. Our last big advancement was being able to do root tears really well with a kind of specialized instrumentation. I think the ability to do all inside repairs, so not, be, not needing to open up the knee to do a meniscus surgery, I think in the last ten years has been a really nice addition. Um, In terms of biologics, there is a little bit of data for meniscus repairs to show that maybe an injection of PRP or platelet-rich plasma, if you're having an isolated meniscus repair, may accelerate healing a little bit, but at the same time, just a little bit of bleeding in the knee, which can be stimulated by, it sounds horrible, but poking little holes in the bone and getting it to bleed is probably sufficient. Um, unless I'm mistaken, Drew, I haven't seen any scaffolds or tissue engineering products that have really met with a lot of success on the market.
2: Yeah, I haven't either. And I think it's just like, it's such a, um, like a complex structure that's challenging for us to make, um, like a replacement meniscus and actually get it to heal and stay functional. And, uh, but I think that would be, you know, the most exciting thing if we're able to, get a little, um, you know, meniscus that we can replace a portion of it and uh, kind of restore it and then actually get it to heal and actually get it to function like a meniscus. And, you know, hopefully someday we can get there, but, um, I, I haven't seen anything, um, too soon that looks like that.
0: Great. Well, thanks everyone, uh, for listening to our podcast this week and, uh, we'll, uh, you know, have some more with some more basic, uh, sports medicine pathologies for you in the future. Thank you for listening to the University of California, San Francisco sports medicine podcast featuring Dr. Nero Bundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Landstown. We look forward to hearing your feedback and hope you look forward to our next episode. Thank you.